have this morning, we are going to dive into our series in Ephesians. continuing our series in Ephesians. We are we left off partway through chapter 5 last week, so if you have your Bible, you want to turn there, you can go to Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. Um, but before I go too far into the message, uh, and I wanted Red Verse to be tuned in for this, uh, last I've been kind of hinting that we're going to do something Wednesday night. Um, we tried small groups, we tried a few different things, and uh, one of the responses we got is we just there's a kind of a cry that we, we do too much without the family. We want to do more things as a family. And so we prayed about it. We've talked about it as leadership. And we decided that we would make all of our ministries collide into one big night. And so Wednesday night is going to be our family night. We're going to have kids stuff. The youth are going to be meeting at the youth center. There's going to be adult element of teaching and fellowship and prayer. And so Everything just collides on this one night. And I want to just kind of stir a little bit more excitement for you with small kids. Um, during COVID, we did something called Making the Bible Come Alive as our curriculum. And it was an online resource. You could tune in for free. All the resources were there for you to walk through the Bible with your kids. And I know exactly how big of a response I got and that wasn't good. So we're going to try again because nobody used it. It's all new stuff. Surprise! Um, but we got the cards. I talked about getting the cards and a few people asked about them and then we had trouble getting them in. I got them now because our speaker at camp at the beginning of August was giving them away for free. So I got cases of these things now. But I'm not giving them to your kids as a case. Here's my little bait Every time your child shows up for a Wednesday night, there's going to be a time on the bouncers, and then we're going to turn off the bouncers, and we're going to study a character of the Bible. And if your kid shows up, they get a card. And every Wednesday, they get a new card, and slowly but surely, they will get the whole deck. And, but, we're not, but if you miss one, that's okay. We'll have a deck set aside for your kid. They can make it up later. Not only will this work for our Wednesdays, we're going to use this as our VBS as well. You show up for VBS, you get a whole bunch of cards. And we'll do different characters every time. So we'll do some in Carlisle, we'll do some in Redverse. And so the onus is you don't want to miss out on a kid's club because you're going to miss out on a card. And these things are really cool. Um, having the creator of them at camp was really cool because he was actually able to walk through and say that this, each character was based off a superhero card. So like David is actually based off of Spider-Man. You look at David, you're like, oh, he is looking like, he does, yeah, okay, I get that. So each of these characters, the artwork is R indeed, um, and there's ones for the little guys, there's ones for the older kids, um, and there's all kinds of games you can play with them. One of the things we did at camp 
was he distributed a bunch out in the crowd and made them all line up in chronological order with the characters. There's pastors in this. Do you know how well we did? Not well. I was not a part of it. I sat at the back and laughed at them. <laughs> That's wrong. They didn't ask my opinion. Um, yeah, they didn't do well. So that doesn't bode well. So this is something that I think we all need to do. We need to get all these cards. We need to practice who happened when in the story. Uh, so kids, you're going to get it. Adults, you could be jealous of it. Grandparents, um, you're just going to have to visit your kids and find out what these are all about. So I will have these out. If you want to see what they're all about, get, a hand, get your hands on, see what the characters look like, see what the cards are all about. Uh, these will be our display models. And uh, yeah, that is coming this fall, starting Wednesdays. Okay, enough rambling. Ephesians 5. So up until this point in Ephesians, uh, the first three chapters were all about why we should worship God, what God has done for us, and how that should stir us to be content and joyful and experience God's peace. And the last, last half of Ephesians is all about how we respond, how we're supposed to live out our faith and react to it. And the first part of Ephesians 5 was all about you, how you as a Christian need to act, the things that you need to avoid. We talked about how you need to avoid greed, immorality, impurity. Paul says that anyone who indulges in these three things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, do avoid anyone who makes excuses for those things. And uh, in fact, it is even shameful for God's people to talk about such things. And so that was kind of where we left off last week. This week, uh, we're diving in. Uh, we're going to take this morning and look at the three major relationships that we all interact with. Because Paul has some really good teaching about how we are to interact with each other as spouses how we're supposed to interact as parents and kids, and how we're supposed to interact as bosses and employees. And so those are the three major relationships we're looking at. Uh, so without any further ado, verse 21 is where we're picking up. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to stop there. One verse. For everyone who's ever done, who's ever gone through Ephesians... Because you know what's next, right? If you've grown up in church, you know what the next section is. It's all about marriage. And the first line talking about marriage is what? Men, you know this. I know you know this because you've used this line before. Wives, what? Submit. But that's not where Paul starts. He doesn't start picking on the wives. Where does he start? Yeah, there's a verse in there that says, actually... Further, submit to one another. So submission is not just for the wives. Sorry, guys. Start to burst your bubble. Submission applies to everyone. And what is submission? When Paul talks about submission, he's talking about this idea of willingly subjecting ourselves by putting the needs of others above ourselves. Putting the needs of others above our own needs. Putting the ambitions of others above our own ambitions. And when you hear submission explained that way, it should remind you of a teaching of a guy named Jesus. Because what did Jesus say about how we are to interact? The first among you shall be... Really? Nobody knows that one? Last. The first among you shall be last, and the greatest among you shall be servant of all. 
That, talk, that sounds a lot like this submission talk. Paul isn't teaching anything new. He's actually reinforcing something that Jesus taught long ago. That, and he says this in Romans 12. He talks about how we are to outdo each other in showing honor. I'm going to fall off the stage. And that should remind you of something from last week. Um, submit to one another. Everybody, not one submitting to another, not giving author- over authority or domineering to one gender over another. Everyone is to submit to one another. And this is such a countercultural thing. It was countercultural back then, because back then the men were the masters, and wives were actually almost property. They were just a little bit of a step up from slaves. And so when Paul talks about this, being submitting to one another this would have been radical and even for today this is radical countercultural thinking why because our cultural te- our culture teaches us that we need to ask this question what's in it for me what am i getting out of this and jesus says no you don't ask this question you don't ask what's in it for me you're how can i help somebody else how can i actually put myself lower so i can lift you up. It flies completely against what culture tries to ingrain in us. It goes completely against what media tries to put into us. And, it's this re- and this is one of the reasons, this whole what's in it for me, that we are watching slowly the church slowly shrink. I was just talking to a pastor the other day. They just had their VBS, and uh, they had 50 kids show up. They had to turn 50 kids away because they didn't have the volunteers to take them all in. In fact, their volunteer team actually was only made up of three people from their church. They had to bring in people from other churches in order to pull it off. And they could have done so much more if they had a bigger team. But they couldn't get people to volunteer. Why? Because volunteering sounds like the opposite of what's in it for me. You don't get anything out of volunteering. You're giving a lot, but not getting a whole bunch. And so I think it's so important that we pause and we remind ourselves and look at this word of submit because it is completely in line with what Jesus wants for us. It's completely in line with what the Spirit is calling us to. And it is the heart of the church that we would not seek ourselves first, but we'd actually put others before us. But, for those of you that aren't so convinced and want to stay with the what's in it for me, watch what happens. Okay, I'm going to give you a little preview of what we're going to talk about for the rest of the message. Watch what happens with this whole submit, put others above yourself mentality when it comes to the three relationships we're going to look at. You put your spouse above yourself. Do you not think that your spouse is going to be a little bit happier? Does a, little bit, does a happier spouse not benefit you? Everyone's ner- laughing nervously. You put your spouse before yourself, does, and your spouse gets happier. Your spouse finds fulfillment and purpose, and you are enabling them to be the person that God in- wants them to be. Does that not just feed back into you and make you feel good about what's going on? As parents, if we put our kids' needs above our own, and we love on them, and we train them, and we draw out the potential that God has put onto them, will our kids not respect us more? Will they not love Jesus the way we want them to? Will they not become the men and women that we desire for them? Don't good kids bless us? Don't good kids help you live little more stress-free? 
Kids, as you honor your parents and obey what they say, and we're going to look at that word obey, will mom and dad be happier? Happy parents go a long way in a happy home. And I'm not just talking about the little kids. I'm talking about all of us kids because we're all kids. And the older we get, we get this idea that I don't have to obey anymore. Mm, I'm going to look at that. I don't know if there's a timeline when that stops. But happier parents, not only will happier parents make your life less stressful, make your life a little bit easier, God actually says this is the one commandment that he will bless you. So not only are you getting the blessing of happy parents, you're getting the blessing of a happy God. Oh, sign me up. Employers, bosses, Paul uses the word masters. Masters is a bad word. That is not a good cultural word. Bosses, owners, managers. If you put the needs of your employees above your own, won't you have happier employees? Happy employees work harder. Happy employees stick around. Your turnover goes down. And happier, longer-lasting employees makes your life significantly less stressful because then you're not having to find new employees, train them all over again. Happy employees make business way easier. And employees, happy bosses go a long way in making your life a lot easier. In fact, happier boss usually means more responsibility, means bumping pay, bumping responsibility. Good things happen when we put the needs of our bosses above our own. See, this whole idea of submission, we as Christians should be the best at it. We should be the best employees, the best spouses, the best parents, the best kids, because this should be the heartbeat of everything that we do and everything that we say. We're going to put everyone else above my own, because at the end of the day, it's not about what I get out of everybody, it's what God is going to bless me with, because if God is all calling us to submit and put the needs of others above our own, guess what God is doing? God is concerned about your needs. God is concerned about your desires. God loves you. He's a good parent. And so if he asks this of parents, he's willing to do it himself. So you may not get the kickback by doing it for people, but you're going to get the blessing because you're going to honor God in all that you're doing by submitting to the people that God has put into your life. You got all that out of one verse? Yeah, I did should read this thing. It's amazing what God packs into it. If you remember nothing else this morning, remember this. Submit to one another. And the crazy part about all of it is that when that's not even, that's just the first half of the verse. What, is, what was the reason Paul gave us for submitting to one another? Out of reverence to Christ. Now the NLT has this really like, he's really softened it. You look at other versions of the Bible, other translations, the translators went full out, out of fear of Christ. Fear. Why? Because the way you interact with these people, is gonna, you're going to have to give an account for it. And your ability to submit to one another is a reflection of your ability to submit to Christ. Let that sink in a little bit. Because if you can't submit to the people that you can see, can hear, can interact with, how are you supposed to submit to a God you can't see all the time? You submit to one another because of who they are, but more importantly, because of who God is and what he has done for you and what he has called you to do because you are going to give an account one day of how you interacted with each and every person that he put into your life. 
Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, with that framework, that foundation laid, we're going to dive into the three relationships that Paul dives into. So, starting in verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, I find it interesting that Paul just spends three verses on the wives because he's going to get a big old chunk to the men here in a little bit. But what is he saying? He's saying that wives, you should submit to your husbands. You should submit, but actually, it's a, submission to your husband is actually an exercise of submission to Christ. Submit to your husband as you, as to the Lord. So actually, your submission is actually an act of obedience and, and following of Christ's working in your life. You're actually submitting to Christ before you're submitting to your husband. That's what Paul is saying, is that if you can't do this, you can't do the other thing either. But he breezes over this because I think, because this is not a hard, this was not a hard thing back then. Remember, wives were just a little bit above slaves, so this whole idea of submission was already well ingrained into the women of the time. It was the men that needed to be hammered into, and I don't think we need, us guys need it hammered into us a little bit every once in a while. Just every once in a while. Because how many people were tempted, husbands, how many people are like, little elbow, hey, you listen to Pastor Matt right now? Just wait, I'm going to get to you guys. But wives, this is what it is. It is the submission. It is willing to put your husband's leadership, your husband's guiding, your husband's spiritualness above your own because, and this is going to, if there's any feminists, you're going to be real mad right about now. There is a design in God's plan that their men are meant to be the leaders. Now, unfortunately, men, I hate to throw you guys under the bus, but we haven't always been great leaders. Maybe we've been great leaders in our business, but we haven't been great leaders at home. We've kind of defaulted to our wives, and so it's really hard for our wives to submit to us because we're kind of letting them take the lead, and we're just kind of following along, doing our thing. Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to step up. But wives, as you obey Christ and submit to him and his leadership and his leading and his teaching it as an extension of that submission you submit to your husbands and you follow their leading and you follow their plan you follow you, you follow them not out of a grudge not out of bitterness not out of like God's gonna get you like it's because I love you okay guys now it's our turn strap in Starting in verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. 
As scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother to join his wife and the two are united into one. It's a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Men, we are called to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. Let me unpack Christ's love for the church. Because he's not just interceding for us. Remember, Jesus took a beating within an inch of his life for the church. Jesus suffered insults, had his beard ripped out of his face, got nailed through a cross, got marched through a city and shamed by the same people who celebrated his entry, hung on a cross, slowly, surely dying of, he basically was drowning in his own body because of the cross. Nails through his hands, nails through his feet, Thorns in his head. He said that Jesus would have been beaten so badly that there would have hardly been a, any skin left on him. That's how bad he would have been. He would have been suffering the amount of pain, but he endured it. There's no what's in it for me in that moment. There's no Jesus is getting nothing out of this except pain and misery and suffering. But at the whole time, all he thought about is you. He's thought about the church because he loves you, because you are worth it. This is the love that Christ shows the church. And we as men, <laughs> we're called to do the same. One commentator said that the, in order for us to even come close to representing Christ's love for the church, for our wives, we'd have to be willing to be cut into 10,000 pieces on her behalf to protect her and to see her become the woman that God has called her to be. 10,000 pieces. You can get 10,000 pieces out of this body. Some of you are going to have some problems, though. I don't know, there's 10,000 pieces there. Endure any insult, endure any pain, endure any hardship, endure any uncomfortableness, endure anything. That is not a domineering love. That is not an overpowering love. That is not a you-submit-to-me-woman kind of love. That is a I'm here to build you up. I am here to see you become all that God has called you to be, and I'm going to sacrifice absolutely everything to see it done because that's what Jesus did for us, and I'm going to follow Jesus' example, which is oddly enough something we talked about a couple weeks ago. What was the standard for our life? Christ. Christ is the standard for our life. And so we as men are called to love our wives with this sacrificial servant love that puts her above all else. Let me ask you something. Ladies, if your man loved you like that, that sacrificially, that abundantly, that overwhelmingly, how hard would it be to submit to him? It'd be pretty easy, I think. I don't know. I'm not a woman. I can't speak for you guys. And on the flip side, if our wives are going to submit, wives, if you submit to your husband the way that the church submits to Christ... Wouldn't it be a lot? Men, wouldn't you just be motivated to just love her better? Wouldn't you just be motivated to just... Because let me tell you, it's not hard to follow Jesus. Because every time it gets difficult, every time Jesus calls us into a tough spot, every time he leads us somewhere we don't want to go, we're reminded of what he did. 
we were reminded of the love that he showed us, and it's like, wow, if you loved us enough to do, go through all of that, you love us enough not to lead us into something that is going to make us uncomfortable and not lead us into our harm, but lead us into our good. Wives, submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives with the same magnitude, servant heart, sacrificial love that Jesus showed for the church. Back to verse 21, submit to one another. I gotta get going because I'm gonna run out of time, which I tend to be doing lately with this book. Okay. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So he starts with the children. And it's important to understand that the word obey and the word submit are very different. Submission comes with this idea that it is your choice. You are choosing to submit your, your ambitions. You're choosing to submit your will. You're choosing to submit yourself to the person that you're submitting yourself to. Obedience does not have that option. Paul is not giving kids the option to submit or to obey. Obedience is you obey. Why? Because the way that we obey Christ is the same way, the way that we obey our parents is going to be a reflection of our ability to obey Christ. Because in our relationship as believers, we don't get an option to follow Jesus. We think we do. But in the same way that in our house, if we disobey our parents, there's consequences. If we don't obey Christ, there's consequences. There is. It's just the way it is. And so in the same way that Jesus calls us and tells us to go and do and speak and, and we are to, as good followers and felt, faithful followers, to obey God, not just submit, but obey. Jesus says, you kids, need, children, you need to obey your parents. And as I said last week, Jesus is the ultimate example. So where do we see Jesus' obedience? He went to the cross because God the Father told him to. He didn't even entertain the idea. He, he asked, like, is there another way? But he ultimately, he obeyed. He just followed. He did what God had called him to do. And so Paul says in the Christ's example, we're to do the same as kids, is to obey our parents. Ultimately, not as an act of obedience to our parents, but ultimately as an act of obedience to the God that we love and we serve and have declared as our Savior. Ooh, that puts a different spin on it. And parents, it says fathers, but it's actually talking to the parents. Parents, do not upset your kids by the way that you raise them up. One commentator said, do not, be, do not treat your kids with uncertain temper, don't just fly off over every little thing. Don't lay up heavy burdens on them that cause them to be stressed. And Don't be unfair. Because remember, as parents, as the Bible talks about God as a father, you are setting the example of what it means to be that God is a parent. 
And so every time they read God is the Father, they're going to think of you as their dad and be like, oh, well, if my dad was like this, then God must be like this. If my dad is sarcastic and cynical, then God must be sarcastic and cynical. If dad blows up over every little thing that I do wrong, then God must blow up over every little thing I, go, I do wrong. And so now I'm... I'm and without even realizing it, the way that we parent our kids will have a very much a direct way, direct result of how they perceive God, follow God, and ultimately decide if they're going to follow or turn away from God. And so this is why Paul says we should be, when we train our kids, he's t- when he says discipline, he's talking about training, nurturing Um, building them up in the ways of the Lord. And when we discipline, it needs to not just come from us because of how it makes us look and how it makes us feel, but it needs to come from a place of this is what God wants to pass on to you. This is what God has called you to, son. This is what God has called you to, daughter. These are the ways of God. And if you follow them, they're going to be blessing. There's going to be good things in store for you as you go. And in order to do that, it requires us to not react, but in a moment where there's maybe something going on, you need to pause and stop and <sighs> we talked about this, the whole star. Stop, take a breath, appreciate Jesus and all that he's done and all of his teaching, and then respond. Because your reaction is going to influence the way your kids, and it's not just kids. Like I said, it's, we're talking kids. You parents are still influencing the way your children see God, whether they're little or they're full-blown adults. Because you are God's representative, so parent well. Teach well. Inform well. I, had one, I listened to one pastor talk about how we just fly off over, parents have this really bad habit, and I'm one of them, we'll just fly off over every little thing, and he said the only thing we should really fly off the handle about is sin. Why? Because we don't want sin in our kids' lives. Everything else, we just need to take a chill pill. Because God doesn't fly off over every little thing. Anyways, I am definitely running out of time today. Oh, I did not put in the next five verses. Here we go. Look at this. Good thing I brought it up here. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both, say, so you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Paul talks about masters and slaves. And like I said, to make it more cultural-based, it's more like employees and employers. Now sometimes you may think you feel like a slave in your job, employees. Let me tell you, you have rights. You, 
Slaves back in, when Paul is talking, he's like, you were, slaves are just a piece of property meant to be worked until they can't work anymore, and then they're disposed of and replaced with another slave. You have rights. <laughs> you may feel like you get worked that hard, but you really don't. Because you legally can't. Anyways, um, he's saying to both, he's like, you both serve one master. One of the commentators I was listening to said, people pleasers only work hard when the boss is watching. And when the boss stops watching, they slack off. Christ pleasers serve their boss faithfully whether they're watching or not because they know that their real master never stops watching. People pleasers only work hard when the boss is watching. But Christ followers work hard because Christ is always watching. And we want to always honor God in all that we do because ultimately as employees, we work for God. In the verse, it talks about fear and er, talks about deep respect and fear. Most translations actually say fear and trembling when it comes to working for the master. And what, they, what, they're try, what Paul's trying to communicate is that the fear is this is actually this deep anxiety to just do your job well. It's this eagerness to just be good at all that you do. But the trembling is the fear of disappointing the person who's employing us. That's what it means to be a Christian worker. To be excited about the job because it's not ultimately the person that you're working for. It's a, the job is a gift from God that he's given to you but also a fear that you don't want to disappoint the one who's given you the job both in, on earth and in heaven. And bosses, you're, you, are, you may be the owner, you may be the top dog, you may answer to nobody, but that is all a lie because you do answer to somebody. You and your employees are all middle management compared to the one that you will ultimately give an account to. Because you will give an account of how you treated your employees. That's why Paul's like, don't threaten them. Don't treat them wrong. Treat them good. Because you're going to give an account to God Almighty about how you treated your employees. Treat them well. As we said earlier, submit to one another. Put their needs above your own. Okay. Wrap up quick. Two things I want you to take away from this. Obviously, the first verse, verse 21, memorize it, keep it rolling around your head, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Stay in your lane. If you were to look at my Bible in Ephesians, because I'm a highlighter, I don't know if you guys like to mark up your Bible, I like to mark up my Bible. In Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, do you know what portion of Scripture is not highlighted in my Bible? 22 to 24. Why? It doesn't apply to me. I'm not a wife. I'm a husband. So I highlight the part that applies to me. It is not our place to go home as husbands and be like, hey, did you hear what Pastor Matt said? You're supposed to submit to me, and I don't think you're doing it very well. Wives, you do not get to go home and be like, you need to love me better. I do not feel like I'm getting the love of Christ from you right now. Kids, you do not get to be like, I don't think you represent God very well in the way you treat me. Parents, you do not get to lord it over them and be like, you need to obey me better. 
You don't get to phone your kids either, the adult kids, and be like, you didn't obey me. Very Pastor Matt said, you got to stay in your lane. So why? Because if you are the spouse that the Scripture calls you to be, then it will be an encouragement for your spouse to stay run in their lane well. If you are a good kid, then it helps your parents, and if you're a good parent, it helps your kids. You do not get to lord it over the person who's in the lane next to you. You should stay in your lane and run it well. If you're the boss, you don't get to lay it out on your employees when you get back, and your employees don't get to go to their Christian boss and be like, I don't think you're treating me. No, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Because when you, get, when you stand before Christ, you're not going to give an account of how well your wife submitted to you. You're not going to give an account of how well your husband loved you. You're not going to give an account of how well your kids obeyed you or how well your parents parented you. You're going to give an account of how you did and how you interacted with them and how you responded to them and respected them and loved them. Because they're going to give their own account. You don't need to worry about them. You worry about you. But if you run, your rain, run in your lane, do your role, step up in the ways you need to step up, it encourages everyone around you to step up right along with you. But it's really easy to drag somebody down. It's really easy to run your lane lackluster and pull everyone around you down with you. So get in your lane, focus on your lane, and run it well. Do not go home and guilt trip anybody. And number two, because one of the things that comes up when we talk about this, doesn't this open us up to being taken advantage of? But ultimately, all of these things, submitting to your spouse, treating your kids well, kids obeying your parents well, being a good boss, being a good employee, actually has, nothing to, has very little to do with the people that you are submitting to and everything to do with your ability to submit to God, and your ability to trust God that even when things aren't going well here on earth, he's going to make things work out for you in heaven. Because ultimately, he's the one that's in control, not the people around you, not you. And so we submit not because of who they are, but because of who he is. And we trust that God is going to bless us. We're going to trust that God is going to put our needs above everything else because he loves us and he has the ability to do what only he can do. Submission actually has very little to do with the people and has everything to do with the God that we love and we serve. And that is the most important part. Now, all too often, the reason we have trouble with this is because we just don't trust God's going to do what God says he's going to do. We don't. Maybe it was because of the way that the example that we got of who God is, maybe it was the way that we were taught, maybe whatever the reason is, we just don't think that God's going to come through the way that we need him to, and the reality is, he always does. It may not come in the time we think, it may not come in the way we think, but God is always working in the periphery, he's always working, he's always sorting out details that we can't always see, because he loves you, he's willing to send his son to die for you, would he not work everything out to your good in the end? So do you trust God enough to be obedient to him 